think we did 13 studies in chapter 5. I promise there won't be that many in chapter 6. But I'm really excited to get into chapter 6 because this passage that's set before us as we consider the Sermon on the Mount once again um, is super practical when it comes to us as believers and how Christ has asked us to live. So let's take a read. We're going to go over the first four verses together this morning. It says in Matthew 6, 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable, charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. Now in chapter 5, Jesus gave the moral basis for life in his kingdom. He spoke to that clearly for you and I. Now, we change gears here in chapter 6 and 7. Jesus described the lifestyle of those who live in his kingdom. Okay, um, So a kingdom is a realm in which the will or the power of a king is expressed. Does that make sense? If we're living for the kingdom of God, okay, we're going to be about his business, correct? We're going to be seeking him. We're going to be doing what he's asking but the problem is we like to live for our own kingdom. We like to be on our own throne, and we can see that being played out in our lives. Now, we live in a kingdom. Jesus rules when we do his will. So then he will act in our lives and in our circumstances. You see, the major emphasis in these chapters indicate that a person who lives in any age as citizens of, of God's kingdom, okay, um, it's going to be his will. So what is his will? Well, it's really seek to please him. Isn't that why we're created? Okay, We're here to seek him, God, to please God, who what? Sees in secret, rather than men who judge you, you know, by whatever public view <laughs> happens to be. Also, we're to trust God. This is part of his will, to trust him completely, to meet all our needs, materially, whatever. And so constant, uh, uh, we, we center on Christ, his kingdom and his righteousness. We also express trust in God. How do we do that? Through prayer, right? Don't we humble ourselves when we pray? Is it good for us Christian to pray? Absolutely. We humble ourselves before him, trusting in him by looking to him to meet our needs. And then we act on and we obey the words of Christ, which are the only sure foundation for this kingdom lifestyle. Christians who develop a lifestyle Jesus explains here are in these two exciting chapters that we're going to be covering over the next couple months will experience the presence and the power of God. So part of the reason why we tend to look at the kingdom as, say, future only, do any of you guys have that tendency? Can't wait for God to come and set up his kingdom. Then, you know, we have a tendency to do that. Well, we've missed the kingdom when we've looked 
back, if we have that tendency, if we just think it's something future, we're going to miss that it's already been here and God has already been doing a lot throughout history. Our view of history can get distorted then. It goes something like this. Everything was great as long as the apostles were alive, right? We've read the book of Acts. Look what happened. And then it got bad with the church hardening. It became dead in restricting institution, paganized by Rome, right? You guys know church history. Don't we think that? It just died after the apostles. And then came along Luther and Calvin. They brought in the Protestant Reformation, and it was alive again, only for a little while. But soon it drifted into deadness as well. Today we're just holding on, sometimes just with a feeble little grip, waiting till Jesus comes. We're just hanging on until he comes. Would you guys agree with me? There's a lot of people that look at church history and have that same kind of mindset. I would say so. You see, the portrait of church history is faulty. Historians often focus on, say, the institutions or the popes, the cathedrals, or uh, books that were written in establishments by men, okay, to sum up the wisdom of whatever age they were in. But neither Thomas Aquinas, Summa, or John Calvin's Institutes expresses the kingdom. Do you guys understand that? They can't do that. They're just men. So the kingdom is expressed in living witness to Jesus, which the Holy Spirit has burned into our lives in those whose hearts have turned to the Lord. <laughs> That's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. For instance, the 12th century, the Wallisons appeared. Okay? They gave the Bible to people in a common language and really stressed repentance. That's what they taught. You guys need to turn back to God. Read his word. Do what he says, okay? And there were a lot of conversions during that time, and they really emphasized living a Christian life that was guided by the scriptures. Who cares what Pope Dido says? <laughs> we got to do what God says. I love that, okay? And especially as you read their teachings, they really honed in on the Sermon on the Mount, that's where they took the bulk of their teachings from. This is what Jesus told us to do. This is how we ought to live. So long before Luther, there was John Huss. He led a great revival in Prague. The revival later forced underground persecution to take place. That really led ultimately to Huss's death. For 300 years, there was an underground church that existed in Bohemia, which the gospel passed quietly through family, from father to son, from grandparents to grandchildren. Finally, these people found refuge in Germany on the estate of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. You guys know who he was? You guys ever hear of the Moravians? Yeah! I got a good pastor friend that's a Moravian guy. Love him. Oh, you guys know Sinet, you gals. Yeah! Her husband is Garrett. They're Moravians. Anyways, we had her in to teach at a women's thing this last year. Um, hi, if you're watching, guys. Anyways, <laughs> um, 
Anyways, the, the Moravians, this group, they really provided, they were a force to be reckoned with because through them, they sent a great multitude of missionaries. There was a huge movement that was really leading to a revival in Germany, Holland, Scandinavia, uh, France, Switzerland, here in America, even in England. Okay? And it was the Moravian missionaries that shared the gospel, the personal relationship that is needed with Jesus Christ with John Wesley's, he was taking a boat over here. And he came to faith. Isn't that cool to think about, you know? So you think back on Christ's, you know, what he's been doing through the church over the last 2,000 years. It is awesome. So many years before Luther, small prayer Bible studies, really, you know, these groups dotted all over Germany. When God called Luther, okay, and the Reformation uh, began to take place, okay, they had already been prepared. They were ready. You guys ever wonder why God doesn't move sometimes? Are we ready? Are we ready? Okay? I mean, there's some seats open here. We could have a few more people. But the reality is, you look at how small the population from the Fox Valley actually got up this morning to go worship the Lord, not to forsake the assembling together, which is the manner of some actually to make a point to be in fellowship. Just think if the Spirit of God dropped and just 10% of the Fox Valley got saved. The churches aren't equipped to take care of that. We're not ready. We couldn't handle that many people coming. What will we do? Are we ready to teach? I've told you guys this before. You guys are grounded in the Word of God. You'd be asked not to come here anymore. Open your doors. Have your neighbors come over. Begin to disciple. Open the Word of God with them. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to worship. Okay? It's, it's, we got to be prepared for what God's doing. And you look throughout church history, how were people prepared? They had been praying. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They were in prayer. They were ready. So um, today, let's consider the United States. We send out thousands of missionaries across the world, but as late as the 1800s, there was no missionary movement to reach abroad. Then in 1806, students at Williams College in Massachusetts began to discuss their part in sharing the gospel. This is what God's called us to do. Go make disciples. Go preach the gospel to all nations, all peoples, right? So there's this non-Christian world. What are we going to do? There's people over here and over there, all over, that don't know Jesus. We got to go. And tons of young people began to go. A rainstorm set, uh, sent them dashing um, to a haystack, okay? So praying there together, God called the first American missionaries. Adoram Judson, Luther Rice, Samuel Mills, they were led, uh, really a host of young people, men and women, across the oceans to share the gospel. And a lot of you guys have studied their lives. So a movement of God began in a quiet, hidden way, okay? The, the haystack. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't in a cathedral, okay? Most likely really is a characteristic of the kingdom. Where are things going to start, guys? You know? We're going to start in our hearts, in our lives, okay? In our homes, in our families, getting together with other brothers and sisters and praying, okay? And it doesn't have to be at church. <laughs> you guys understand that. So, let's dive in here. Uh, verse 1, okay? Jesus speaks here about giving sincerely, okay? So not flaunting our charity, Right? So having focused on relationships between our neighbors, that's really what chapter 5 was about, okay? 
Jesus begins addressing here relationship to God the Father. That's very important, right? We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, if we're not in that right relationship with our Heavenly Father, we're not going to be able to love our neighbor. We're not going to be able to do chapter 5 correctly. That's why chapter 6 and 7 are so important for us as believers. So Jesus begins to address this relationship with God. It's really key to the chapter. So the three examples that we're going to have in verses 2 to 18, which we'll cover the next three weeks here, giving, praying, and fasting. You guys might be like, well... I want to talk about finances, marriage, parenting, you know. Um, Jesus could have talked about that stuff, taught us some really good stuff about that. But I think these are some key things. They really relate to his opening command in verse 1, which really pertains to this personal piety. So members of the kingdom of God should practice the disciplines that Jesus describes so the Father can witness them and not others. Uh, so Jesus reserves uh, right here. Um, if you look, at, look down at verse 18 quick. It says, so that your fasting may be seen by your Father. He kind of reverses the formula here for us. Don't let people see your charitable deeds, but hey, let people see. And there's this tension here that I kind of want to wrestle through with you guys this morning because as he's laying out how we ought to live here, I found that 13 times that there's this term reward that comes up, okay? It's something Matthew uses quite often, okay? It frequently occurs here. So the term refers to not an immediate payoff, but a future blessedness. So there are things that God's calling us to do. Well, I want to be practical, okay? I can do that. Like if I go down to the pantry, I can physically help somebody right now with a need that they have right now, Okay, do you guys understand that? That's easy. And sometimes it's hard for us. You want me to do what? I can go do that. You want me to pray? What is going to, I already prayed today. <laughs> I want you to pray some more, son. You want me to fast? What's up? You know? And there's these things that I, I think God wants us to really consider this morning and grab what he has to say in these next 18 verses. So, we're only going to look at the first four. We're going to deal with charitable deeds this morning. That's to practice piety. So, this general title for acts of devotion of religious duty which conform to the will of God. So, nothing is more marked by uh, rabbinic ethics than the stress laid upon charity um, in every sense of the word. How many of you guys have an ESV or NIV this morning? Any of you guys? Did you guys catch there? It says practicing your righteousness instead of charitable deeds. Okay, And I think they translated that more correctly there. So meaning all righteous deeds. It's not only giving. When he says charitable deeds, it's not just giving. It's all those things that God would be asking us to do. I think that really encompasses what Jesus was trying to get to. So Jesus wants his disciples to be sincere, right? Do you guys agree with me? wants us to be real, to be authentic, to be sincere before their Heavenly Father. Okay, we can't fool him, right? You know, you guys can fool me, I can fool you. Okay, but he knows our hearts. He knows what's actually going on, what our motives truly are. So we ought to be sincere. 
okay, before our Heavenly Father, not just showing off before people. So, to be seen by them, he says. So motive really is the issue. And I'd like to share with you guys um, four motives, okay, behind all generosity or four ways to give. One would be a man may give out of a sense of duty. It's just what I do, right? Another one may be I may give purely out of motive of self-interest. Hey, if I give, that makes me whatever, feel good, or I'm going to get something back by doing that. Number three, a man may give in order to feel superior. Look at me. I gave my car to somebody, you know? Not that that's bad, but you guys get the point. Look how cool I am, you know? Um, a man may give because he can't help it. Okay, so those are the four that I came up with. Charity can be given publicly, but not for the sake of publicity. Um, or charity should be a holy duty, carefully performed, not for our own honor, but really for God's pleasure. Okay, does that make sense? Grab your bulletins again real quick. Hey, do have a bulletin up here. Turn to the back page. We've had 2 Corinthians 9-7 on there on the giving part. Check this out, okay? And we've kept this verse on here forever because this is really part of our distinctive here at Freedom Fellowship, okay? We want people's heart. We want to be sincere. We don't want anybody giving um, out of peer pressure. What does it tell us in 2 Corinthians 9-7? So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, or a hilarious giver. So when God asks us, okay, you want to live for my kingdom? You need to be a giver. You need to be like me. You know that God's a giver by nature? God so loved, loved the world that he gave. Okay? It's something he wants in our heart. Okay? We don't want to peer pressure somebody, pass a plate around and like, oh, here it comes. I got to put something in. No, your heart should be in it. Okay? I want to do this. I want to invest into the kingdom. Okay, I want to invest into the gospel going forth. I want to invest into my church family or whatever God may be calling you to give to. So does that kind of make sense? Verse 1? Good. Let's look at verse 2 and 3 here. Um, this is speaking into private piety or we to give secretly. See that Jesus says, or he's kind of, <laughs> he's criticizing hypocrisy here. Okay, the hypocrites for intentionally drawing attention to their giving, okay? They have their reward. They've received their reward from the praise of others. Oh, look what they did! You know, I loved going on vacation this last couple weeks. You know, we got to see a lot of cool stuff. Got to look at some beautiful, you know, creation that God has set before us out west. I got to sit on some really beautiful park benches to enjoy the beautiful creation. And guess what was on all the park benches? This is dedicated by blah, 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 blah family in memory of blah, 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 you know, and stuff. Went over a really cool bridge over uh, one of the rivers out in Yellowstone and stuff. And the bridge literally probably had hundreds of names on it. And there's nothing wrong with that because I'm thankful for those hundreds of people who gave money so I could walk over the beautiful river. You know what I'm saying? But what is Jesus saying here? Hey, it's not wrong, but you're going to get your praise from where? You're going to get your reward from where? Something that is temporary, right? From man, from this life. Um, or you get it from God. So what do they do? Okay, they have their reward. Um, 
they sound a trumpet, right? You guys ever wonder if this literally happened? I'm about to give, you know? Is that really what they did? Okay, something so, but, uh, you know, probably, uh, I don't know. Anyways, you ever hear the term toot your own horn? Yeah, I think that's probably where it came from. So maybe it was a play on words. Um, Their charity boxes were uh, shaped like trumpets. They were made out of brass. So you dropped in, actually. Nick, could you go grab that flower thing in the corner there? That's a tin. Yeah, bring that whole thing over here. Oh, it's plugged in? Oh, that's okay. Sorry, I should have prepped beforehand. Thanks, bro. It's metal. Sorry, Mom, I just took those out. Do you need a nickel? Do I need a nickel? <laughs> I got some change. Okay. You guys ever read the story of the woman who just gave two mites? Mm-hmm. Nothing. You know, every time I read this passage, I always think of that story. Okay? She gave out of what she had, like everything she had. She had next to nothing. She was a poor lady. But these other people came and they were showing off. Hey, look at how I give. Look how I do. You know, and it's one of those things, guys, I really want us to grasp that our giving, it is between us and the Lord. He knows. Okay? That's where the reward is. Okay? And it's not wrong to let people see your giving. I want you guys to know that too. You know, let, let them see your good works that they may what? Glorify your Father in heaven. I'm provoked when I hear of brothers and sisters, how they support missionaries, how they give, how they've made personal sacrifice. It serves me up to do one same. Did you guys see there's a tension there, <laughs> you know? We're supposed to do this not to be seen, okay, that our Heavenly Father will reward us openly, okay? But also there's the reality of, hey, we want to stir each other up unto giving. But how these guys were doing, it was ridiculous, you know? They'd come in and stuff, and they'd have their money, like, woo I got cash, you know? Five whole dollars, that's a lot. Look at, oh, but then I got more, you know? And they'd have this metal thing. And these are all quarters, you know? And everybody would look around. Look at all that I'm giving, you know? Eyes are on me, right? Isn't that distracting? Isn't that annoying? You know? So what Jesus is saying is, no, don't show off. It's not about that. You know, it's between you and the Lord, and that's where you got a purpose in your own heart. God, what are you asking me to give? What are you asking me to give? Is New Testament, as New Testament believers, is tithing biblical? Is that an Old Testament thing? I think it's a good principle. I know I'm not under the law, but I know Christ has given me everything. It's not really mine anyways. God, what, what do you want me to do with what you've given? Do you guys get that? And we just need to be stewards of what he's given. And I love verse 3. It says, don't let your left hand know what your hand is doing, right? So it's a symbolic uh, scene that really captures the extreme measures that should be taken to avoid public praise for generosity. Okay, You don't want to be clunking the, the giving can <laughs> for recognition. Okay, That's not what it's about. Um, 
Charles Spurgeon, I love this story. Um, his wife, Susanna, okay, they, they had chickens. They sold their eggs. You guys ever have fresh farm eggs? There is a difference. So good, right? Um, but anyways, I have, I have a blessing where both my, my dad and my in-laws, they have chickens, so I get fresh eggs every once in a while. They're so good. You know how much I have to pay for them? Nothing. They're, they're free, right? But the Spurgeons, they sold their eggs, and even their close family, you know, had to buy them. And they were a little put out, like, what's going on? You know, you guys, you're greedy. You're, 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 you're a preacher, a pastor, what's going on? You know, so that was something that they were labeled for, was just being greedy people. Well, when Susanna passed away, it came out that all the proceeds, all the money that they made from those eggs all those years were going to elderly widows to help them, you know? And every time I hear that story or think about them doing that, this is the passage that comes to mind. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, Lord, (laughs) we're just doing this. And the thing is, they never told anybody. It wasn't said. It was many years later that that finally came out what they were doing. So should giving always be kept secret? Okay, I put in our Facebook group an uh, article by Randy uh, Elkhorn this week, or maybe it was last week, about giving. I'd encourage you guys to read that. He did a really great job. I was going to go through some of his points, but I just thought he just did a great job. You guys just can read it on your own. Um, so Jesus really here is dealing with our motives. He starts with the broad category of acts of righteousness or charitable deeds, and then he moves into three acts, the giving, the prayer, the fasting. So Jesus did not intend us to have an exhaustive list, okay? Rabbis, when they often taught, would give three points, okay? Three main things while they were teaching. So he could have added Bible reading or feeding the poor or raising children or whatever. He could have added different things to here or going on mission trips, attending you know, a particular church or school or whatever. Um, but rather, he's what? commanding that we do not do these things in order to receive praise or recognition from man. That's his point. Are you guys getting his point here? I hope so. So, in getting what we seek, we will lose what we should have sought, and that's really God's approval. That's the bottom line. God, what do you want? Okay, do we look for the approval of man or the approval of God? So Christ commands us to do our giving quietly, Okay, unobtrusively. So don't cough loudly, <coughs> you know, while you're giving. Okay, don't do a slam dunk while you're giving. Don't make a big production out of it. Okay, uh, do it from your own heart. So did public recognition tempt others to give out of wrong motives or reasons? I would say absolutely. Have you guys ever read in Acts chapter 5 about an Ananias and a Sapphira? Yeah, right? So that can, it can be wrong motives. I've been in church settings like that. Hey, seize the dream, you know? There was so much peer pressure and people started doing out of wrong motives to the point they were giving off of credit cards and going in debt. And I don't think that's what God would have. So, um, but the, the possible abuse of giving doesn't nullify its legitimacy. Uh, both the body of Christ and the world can benefit from seeing the attractive witness of generous giving. Okay? 
That's something that should be contagious. It's like, whoa, we're on a mission here. We do want to invest into the kingdom of God. It's not just for a few people in the church to be doing, hey, we're all part of the body of Christ. We're all in this together. We're all going to make sacrifices, okay? And I think proportional giving is very healthy, okay? Some of us are in a place that God has blessed us. Great, you know? I know some guys are in a place in life that they give 90% of their income to the work of the ministry and they live on 10, kind of backwards tithing, some of us are single moms and can't pull that off, you know? It's one of those things, again, you seek the Lord. What are you asking me to do? But I want you guys to remember that Jesus earlier said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and worship your Father in heaven, right? That was in verse 16 of chapter 5. So here we are commanded to let people see our good deeds, which means we should not hide them. So this passage then in Matthew 6 brings balance, okay, of each other. There's a time for giving to be seen when it's done at the right time and for good re- or for the right reasons, okay? So what was the name of, of the Good Samaritan? Do you guys remember? The Good Samaritan. We all know the story. What was his name? Exactly. I love that. We don't have a clue. We just know there was a dude who did a good thing. And that's what we should do with one another. Pretty simple. So, uh, another question. What is the best way to advertise your giving? To fulfill Matthew 5.16, right? You see, if Christ established the principle in Matthew 6 here in verses 2 through 4, that other people should never know what someone gives, um, then if you look through scripture, okay, the church would have violated that. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Numbers chapter 7 lists a whole list of donors who gave for the tabernacle, right? In 1 Chronicles 29, tells exactly how much Israel's leaders gave to the building of the temple. Then it says, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely, wholeheartedly to the Lord. You know, and that's something I hope our elders, the leadership in the church, is an example to you guys. Like, hey, pastor tithes? Why would a pastor tithe? That doesn't even make sense. No, you just do it. You give. That's what we're told. Uh, Philemon 7 also refers to his generous giving personally. And 2 Corinthians 8, 2-3 refers to the Macedonians generously giving. So we see a lot of biblical examples of people giving. I would love for Freedom Fellowship to be known as a giving church. Wouldn't that be cool? Wow, they're not just about building a building, you know, building their church. They actually care about people. They actually want to do and be a part of the community and give, to be there for one another. So when the poor widow gave, she gave publicly. Jesus could actually see the two coins, and her motives were right. She gave visibly, uh, did nothing to nullify her heart, okay? So see, somebody sees you doing something, praise God, you know? Um, I'm going to lose a reward real quick, but I like snow blowing my neighbor's yards or sidewalks. I live in a neighborhood, a bunch of rentals. Most of them don't own their own, you know, snowblower. And you guys live in Wisconsin with me, and we get snow once in a while, <laughs> you know? I'm not going to wake up at 3 in the morning when everybody's sleeping, turn on my really loud snowblower to go to it when nobody can see. 
that would be ridiculous. But it is one of those things, you know, our house has been labeled, that's the Christians. They have the big cross out there during Christmas. We know who they are, you know? And it's one of those things I just pray like, hey, if my neighbors see me doing this, I don't care if they see that it's me doing it or not. Like, I don't care. But hey, just let them see you, Jesus. You know, just let them know that it's because I love you that I'm taking the time to do that. Does that make sense? And I think it matters where your heart's at in doing it. Is it really for the glory of God? So, the body of Christ needs models of every spiritual discipline. So I think giving is a big part of that too. We shouldn't brag about our Bible study, evangelism, parenting, or giving, but neither should we cover it up. I think we just be who we are. And if people see, praise God. You know? And people are watching. They're going to see that. So it's easier for people to follow footprints, what we do, than commands, what we say. Amen to that? You know? They're going to see it. Like, oh, you actually do that. You say to love your neighbor, but I actually see you loving your neighbor. Hebrews 10.24 tells us to spur one another on or towards love and what? Good deeds. Okay? That's why I encourage you guys to come down to the pantry. <laughs> it's just a good thing. Okay? Maybe you're busy doing other good things. If you've been watching Netflix all the time, I hope it's a good show. <laughs> but we should be doing things. It's difficult to be spurred on by what we cannot see and not do. Okay? Um, next week, um, I just want to take a moment. A lot of you guys uh, know the Beard family, Rancho Oasis for Youth. Uh, some of you guys may have been following uh, some of their posts in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're moving back stateside. I've known them for 17 years. I knew Mayor before she was uh, an adult. I knew John as a youth pastor. We did some camps together, got to know them. Uh, they went down to Mexico. They were in uh, Puerto Rico, and they've been down at the ranch for eight years. They, everything invested into that, giving to the ministry. Um, and in the last month, it came out that three of their kids had been molested uh, their three youngest um, by one of the staff members down there. So that was a pretty big hit. I'm on the board, so we've had a lot of decisions on what to do, what's best for them. Um, and they've decided to move back stateside. They're going to be staying with the Gornsons in Colorado Springs. Um, but I would like us as a fellowship to take up a love offering next week for them because they have had to sell as quickly as they could everything they had. They got to come back, get reestablished here. So there's definitely a need. So I want you guys just to pray this week, okay? Here's a practical need. <laughs> what can we do, you know, to help them that way? So we'll do that next week. And more than anything, guys, I just want you to be praying for them, okay? Uh, I can't even imagine being in their shoes and how overwhelmed they are. I mean, they gave everything to that ministry. Their kids, their family uh, have never known anything else and they're moving to America. <laughs> uh, so be in prayer for them. But that's something we want to do, okay? Um, is we need to be spurred on um, when things come up. Now let's wrap this up. Verse 4, this will be our last verse this morning. Uh, again, our focus is to be on the Father, right? Okay? And He will reward us openly. Let your charitable deeds... Uh, deed may be seen in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. I noticed that secret was used six times in this chapter, and then reward was used seven times, but then I noticed Father 
showed up 12 times. So what's the emphasis, guys? Okay, It's back on him. It's him. So what is the reminder for us? <laughs> you know, is really to have a father focus. Not others, not even ourselves, but him. Okay, He's the reason. He is worthy. You know, and it's great. Hey, let's have a campaign. There's this need. Let's do this and that. You know, and I see people get so caught up into just giving <laughs> to these things. You know, it's one of those things we should just give to the Father. You know, hey, my heart's in here. I see a need, but really this is unto you, <laughs> you know, that you may be glorified. Um, yeah, so it's him. And then did you guys catch in secret to give. Verse 4, again in verse 4, verse 6, verse 18. So we should give only to please our Father. We should pray only to please our Father. And we should fast only to please our Father. It's about that. Um, there's a lot of false teaching out there. You know? If you give, then you'll get this much back. Okay, Totally out of context, guys. Well, I'm fasting. If you fast for this, if you pray circles around that, then whatever you want to happen is going to happen. That's sick. That's twisted. Okay? Churches are taking people through books teaching this type of stuff. It's unbiblical. We need to be careful of that. Um, I could say more, but I'm not going to. We should give uh, up the immediate reward for the eternal one. Uh, as we can't get rewarded twice, so we must choose which one do we want. Do we want eternal or do we want now? That's on us. Okay? And it's a bummer when Christians don't have a heavenly mindset. They're living for the here, the now. It's all about the stuff, the toys. You know, you're missing out. Store up treasure in heaven. All right, I want to end um, with this story. While touring Italy, a man visited a cathedral that had been completed on the Outside only. Once inside, the traveler found the artist. He was kneeling before this enormous wall upon which he had begun to create uh, this huge mosaic piece of art. So on some tables nearby, there were thousands of these little bitty pieces of ceramic, different colors. Um, curious, the visitor asked the artist how he would finish such a large project. The artist answered, that he knew how much he could accomplish in one day. I know what I can do today. Each morning, he marked off an area and he completed, or to be completed that day, and he didn't worry about what remained outside of that space. There's a lot of wisdom in that, guys. So what is in your space today? Don't worry about tomorrow. We'll get there in verse 33 in a month from now. Okay. <laughs> What's in your space today? That's the point. So God has made in this beautiful world of his really a giant mosaic. He has given each of his children multiple pieces of color ceramic, other words known as charitable deeds. Okay? We have those pieces. So have you placed yours? And will you? That's really the question that we have to set before ourselves as we consider these few verses this morning. Will we? Did Kirk teach on obedience last week? Is that what he taught on? Yeah. 
And why do, why do, why, why do we obey God? Why? Because we love Him. <laughs> it's easy to give back, okay, when we understand how much we're loved. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. God, I do ask, Lord, for myself and my brothers and my sisters here this morning that You please just show us, Lord, what it looks like, Lord, to to be about kingdom business. Lord, the charitable deeds that you'd be asking us to do. And I've found you've, you've asked me to do things that are way beyond me. And you may be asking many this morning to do things that just don't make any sense. That's where faith comes in. Lord, we want to use our gifts, our talents, our treasures, our time for your glory, for your kingdom. I pray that we would work well together for your glory, God. I do pray that you would just be leading us clearly, showing us what your will is, Father. We thank you so much for the many blessings that we do have and the, really the blessing of being able to bless others. God, we thank you for the nature that you've given us, Father, the new creation that we are in you. We want to be more and more like you, Father. So help us to love you. Help us to care about what you think more than what others think, God. Change our heart. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to have the elders come up here. If any of you guys want to pray about anything, uh, you're welcome to come up and ask for prayer, maybe something specifically from the message this morning. I do encourage you to read ahead. Uh, next week we're going to be considering uh, prayer at length and hoping to take some time to actually pray together next Sunday morning. So that'll be good. Again, 6.30 Saturday night. We're going to have a time of worship here. Hope you guys can make it out for that. It'll be good. Love you guys. Have a great week.